Everyone you meet is looking for something that'll make them happy. Maybe their search differs from yours, but have no doubt we're all in search of that certain something that we think is going to give us satisfaction. If you've been listening recently to our study in the book of Ecclesiastes, you know this endless pursuit of happiness isn't a new trend. More than a thousand years before Jesus Christ, there lived a man who methodically searched every promise of the world to find peace. And he found out something that we need to know today. In our study of Ecclesiastes 9 with our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, we're going to discover just why Solomon had so much trouble finding satisfaction. And you know, the search for contentment isn't just a problem here at home. It shows up in every culture and in every country all around the world. And that's why we're so grateful for all of you who pray and support our global ministry. Here to give us an update on Through the Bible's vision for taking the whole word to the whole world is our president, Greg Harris. Uh, What a joy it is and how grateful we really are truly are to all of you that are part of this ministry. We're not just saying you support it, you're part of it. And when you get to heaven, as Steve likes to remind us, we're going to have meetings and uh, you're going to meet some of these people. No, meetings are boring, man. Okay, I'm celebrating. We're going to have parties. Okay, thank it's going to be a big thank party. You, Steve. You are. You're such a party guy. Yeah. Okay, we have some great letters from the country of Turkey. Just a quick refresher. Turkey is a tough place to do Christian yeah, ministry. Yes. 98% Muslim, extremists, government intimidation, family pressures, There's all kinds of forces that don't want people to come to Jesus Christ as their savior. There's also a deep national resentment toward Christianity, making sharing the name of Christ very difficult. Yeah, but God. But God. Through the Bible has been in Turkish on radio, terrestrial radio, since 1981, and we're seeing a lot of fruit, and we're continuing in the digital uh, delivery methods as well. So this first letter, and we get feedback from our Turkish Bible bus listeners, is a 35-year-old man who wrote this. I've been listening to your programs for two years now. It took me a long time to believe. I am a very firm person. Actually, you can call me a skeptic. I don't believe in everything. I don't trust everyone. Therefore, people don't like me much. (laughs) I don't know. I thought you were a pretty good guy. Yeah, I like him. I don't act until I really am sure about something. Your program helped me a lot. I listened carefully to every sermon. I compared it with the Bible. I even read the Quran once more during this period. Now I can honestly say, this is wonderful, that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Thank you for helping me to make this decision. That is an amazing letter, and I wish we had time to talk uh, about it. We'll talk about it at lunch today, but we got some more we have to hear. That is just such a, a letter of causing us to all rejoice. Now, here's a 40-year-old man who writes this. One day, I took a taxi. After a while, I noticed that the radio was on. I was surprised because the taxi driver was listening to a frequency that preached about Christianity. What was told in the program touched my heart. The speaker explained the wrongs of trusting man and said that we should trust in God, that he who trusts in God will never be ashamed. He explained that we are not alone and that God is on our side for good in every situation. Hmm. He was telling me everything my heart needed. When I came to the place where I was to be dropped off, a voice said to me, give God a chance. After that, I listened to your program for months. Jesus Christ changed all my thinking. Hmm. He changed my heart and life. I was forgiven and saved. I am now a believer in Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. And it's been a long time since we've heard a backseat taxi radio conversion. We hear those less because now radio is less of a thing, but it's still there. Got time for one more, I think. My husband is a violent man. He humiliates me and hits me often. One day I went to the imam of my mosque and asked him to help. 
But he said, He is your husband, and the Quran allows it. He said that he is the head of the house. You must be guilty of something. He told me to obey whatever my husband says. That day, I began to hate Islam. When I was at home alone and hopeless and helpless, I remembered that one of my friends told me to look up your program. I started listening to it. After two months, I decided to believe on the name of Jesus Christ. I've been praying for my husband for six months. Jesus has given me the strength to endure, and I am trying to forgive him. Our house has become a bit more peaceful. Please pray for me and for our two children. Wow. So powerful. Greg, pray for us as we begin our study today. Father, our hearts are moved almost beyond words at this last testimony of this precious woman who has been suffering and continues to suffer abuse. We pray for her and her two children. We pray that you will bring her husband to faith in Christ. And we rejoice in the other letters of those who have put their trust in you in a very hostile environment. We just thank and praise you now for all that you're doing around the world through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now turn to Ecclesiastes 9 as we go through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now, friends, we're in this section labeled the do-gooder. This is where we see him in action. This is the man that says, well, I think if you pay your honest debts and live a good life, that God is going to accept you. This is the fellow that goes down the middle of the road on the freeway of life. He is Babbitt on Main Street in the big city, doing business under a neon sign, but living in suburbia in a sedate, secluded, and exclusive neighborhood, taking it easy, and says, I'm going to heaven on my own propulsion. I am working out my own salvation, and I'm a pretty good fellow after all. And this is the man that has a hard philosophy of life. And there's very little joy in this man's life. Oh, he has the happy hour each evening when he has his cocktail. But he comes to some very doleful conclusions. And fact of the matter is, as we have attempted to call attention, that some of the teachings in this book, a radical. Someone said to me after a message on Ecclesiastes, why, Dr. McGee, that's radical teaching. Sure is. This is a man under the sun. This is not the Christian viewpoint at all. This is altogether different that we're looking at right now. And it does not represent actually God's viewpoint. This is the conclusions that the man under the sun has to come to. And they're radical. He believes in dividing the wealth. He has socialistic ideas. He has a great many ideas that are not accurate. And we're going to see that, especially here in chapter 9. Actually, this book here, as we've seen, it seems to contradict other portions of Scripture. It expresses ideas that are contrary to some of the great teachings of the Scripture. And the thing that almost alarms you, that this has been the favorite book of atheists, Volney and Voltaire, they quoted profusely from it. It fosters a pessimistic philosophy of life like Schopenhauer had. And the most shocking feature is that some of the isms today in the modern cults, they predicate the main thesis of their system on this book. And in this chapter, they use a verse for soul sleep. And how did this book get into the canon? How do you reconcile its teachings? 
How do you harmonize its statements with the Christian faith? Well, any book, the purpose of the writer must be considered. And again, I come back to this. What is the purpose? What is the thesis? What is he trying to prove? What is he demonstrating? Is the writer setting forth Christian principles? Actually, he's speaking of life apart from God. And he's trying to make an experiment to see how to be happy without God. And these are the conclusions that he came to under the sun. This is the way the man of the world goes today. Now, I want to illustrate what we mean this way. One halfway between high tide and low tide is what they call the mean tide, and that is sea level. Now, there is today a realm of life below sea level, and then there's a realm of life above sea level. Actually, two worlds. There is the world below sea level. And there are certain chemical elements there. And above, it's different molecules. Below, it's aqueous. Above, it's gaseous. Above, there are birds with feathers that live. Below, there are fish with fins below. Now, there are two ways of life. The mockingbird does not tell the tuna fish what's wrong with him because he doesn't have feathers. And above sea level... You open your mouth and breathe deeply. That is, if you can get out of the smog. But below sea level, you'd be in trouble if you use that method. And actually, I think a monkey and a barracuda could have a good debate on which direction is sea level. The barracuda says it's up. The monkey says it's down. Now, Ecclesiastes is under the sun. The Christian life is in the heavenly. It's where God is. God's viewpoint is above the sun. And now we're looking at two ways of life. Life under the sun. It's this mundane existence apart from God, a future and an eternity without God and the spiritual in God's left out. Now the Christian life is altogether in contrast to this. We have been saved by the grace of God and for the display of His grace. So we have two different spheres, and the laws and principles of one will not apply to the other. They are as far apart as that which is below sea level, that which is above sea level. Now, you're wasting your time to tell a non-Christian, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. He isn't even in Christ. No use talking to him along that line. It's like trying to teach a mud turtle to fly because he likes the swamp and he's not interested in flying. Now, Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes. And as we said before, it's a record of an experiment he made with life. He tried everything under the sun to see if he could find satisfaction of soul. And in this chapter alone, under the sun occurs about four or five times under the sun, and everything must be interpreted in the light of that. Now, he had already tried other things. He tried the pursuit of knowledge, came to the conclusion, the making of many books, there is no end. He tried pleasure, and the outcome was, I hated life. He tried riches, and he came to the conclusion, he that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. And then he tried religion. And you either become a lunatic or a racketeer, a crank or a crook. 
fanatic or become frantic, a nut or a bum, the two routes if you're going to go the religious route. And then he tried fame. A good name is rather to be chosen. It's better than precious ointment, he says. And then he tried morality. And all he could say is all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Thackeray wrote a wonderful novel called Vanity Fair. If you've ever read it, you know the story of Becky. And he concluded it by telling all of the littleness and the sin in the lives of these people during the time of the wars of Napoleon and how they lived little lives apart from God. For Thackeray, by the way, was a Christian. And then he concludes it like this. He says, the play is over. We'll put the puppets back in the box. All is vanity and vexation of spirit. And by the way, you could do that with Hollywood. It's the pleasure capital. It's the sin center. This is the place where there's fame and riches. And this is the place that has the monopoly on sleeping pills. My friend, life is empty without God and without Christ. Augustine gave that famous yet trite and hackneyed expression, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our lives are restless until we rest in thee. The human heart is so constructed that you could put the whole world in it and still have room for something else. And yet when you have Christ, your heart's not big enough to hold him. Now look at this chapter here with that background. The most frightening fact about Ecclesiastes it's the basis for socialism. And my friend, your country and mine is closer to socialism than you can ever imagine. And this is the only answer to statism, regimentation. What's that? Christ is the answer. And he's the only answer. You can only go one direction without him. And with him, there's life abundant. Now, will you notice? I'm reading verse 1 of chapter 9. For all this... I considered in my heart even to declare all this, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. No man knoweth either love or hatred by all that is before them. In other words, he says, I don't know a thing. Or, using the common colloquialism of the street, I don't know nothing. That's my position. And that's the position of a great many today. They're not worried about the future eternity. That's a realm they don't enter at all because they know nothing about it. Verse 2, all things come alike to all. There is one event to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the clean, to the unclean, to him that sacrificeth and to him that sacrificeth not. As is the good, so is the sinner. And he that sweareth is he that feareth an oath. In other words, doesn't make any difference what direction you go. You're going to come out the same way. And now, what is the answer to all of this under the sun? Now, understand, this is not God's answer. This is the man under the sun. Verse 3, this is an evil among all things that are done under the sun, that there is one event unto all, yea, also the heart of the sons of men is full of evil and madness is in their heart while they live and after that they go to the dead. In other words, my friend, you're the victim of circumstances and therefore we ought to share the wealth. That sound familiar to you today? 
That's the conclusion you come to under the sun. Don't need to work. After all, it won't make any difference whether you work or whether you don't. Life is a great lottery. Since you didn't get yours, the fellow that was lucky and got his ought to share it with you. My friend, <laughs> this is the man under the sun. Does that sound familiar to you? Karl Marx never said anything new. Solomon was way ahead of him. Now will you notice, verse 4, For to him that's joined to all the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. And the idea is here, actually, all through this section, eat, drink, and be merry. Well, tomorrow you're going to die. And the fool and the wise men, they just about the same in the long run. After all, a living dog is better than a dead lion. It doesn't make much difference. Now let's move on down here because this is something that is tremendous. He says here, For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything, neither have they any more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Now, this is where that idea of soul sleep arises. Here, and we have another verse up here, verse 10. And what you have here is the philosopher, the man under the sun. This is the conclusion that he comes to here, that you just well be a live dog. In fact, be better than be a dead lion. So to be a lion or a dog doesn't make really much difference because when you die, you're just like a dog. That's what the atheist says today. And looking at the human side, the physical side, my friend, when that body goes into the grave for a child of God, that body is put to sleep. That's true. But Paul says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. That's where the person goes, and you and I are just living in these earthly tabernacles today. So you see, this is not even a Christian viewpoint. It's the man under the sun. I heard a man say some time ago, well, he says man just like a dog. When he dies, that's it. Well, that's what he says here. That's the outcome. Now he says here, also their love and their hatred and their envy is now perish, neither have they any more portion forever in anything that's done under the sun. In other words, this life is very futile. It's very purposeless, very meaningless. You're just an animal. <laughs> Here's evolution with a vengeance. Only it's a little different. What he's saying here is man didn't come from an animal. Man is an animal. And that's more frightful today because we think we've come from some place and that we are very much on the way, that we're marching to Zion. And it's an earthly one. Now will you notice verse 7, Go thy way, eat thy bread with joy, and drink thy wine with a merry heart, for God now accepteth thy works. You're a do-gooder, you see. So eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. And we're going to have our happy hour, you know. And from about 4 o'clock to about 7 o'clock, we all get sows. And that's life. That's living it. Probably the most monotonous life in the world are the folk that are living like that today. Now he says, let thy garments be always white. Let thy head like no ointment. Oh, dress up. <laughs> Keep up a good front. And then it says, verse 9, live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity, which he hath given thee under the sun. And you know, actually, there are many unsaved couples that are enjoying life. No question about that from their viewpoint. I have met several along the route, 
Oh, they have their problems. They have their dark days, but this is their attitude. Let's make the best of it. All the days of thy vanity, for that is thy portion in this life and in thy labor, which thou takest under the sun. Now, will you listen to this? This is another verse that they base soul sleep on. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. Well, absolutely, there's not. Because when you put this old body that can hold a hammer and can use its brain to study or to perform some mental chore, when you put that body in the grave, it's not going to be doing those things. In other words, this is the place you're going to make your decisions. But the body has come not to an end, but the body will probably disintegrate, made up of about 16 elements, and the soil's made up of about 16 elements, and that body will go right back into the soil. Dust thou art, under dust shalt thou return. He says that concerning the body. But the spirit will go to the Creator. In other words, you're a person, and you're going to have to answer to God. Now, he'll come to that in the 12th chapter, so that this does not teach soul sleep. It's the viewpoint of the man under the sun, and that is the thing of it. Now, in verse 11, oh, he deals with social injustice and the minority groups and the masses. Listen to him now. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill. But time and chance happeneth to them all. Life is a great lottery. And if you happen to be born black, you're going to have your problems. And if you're born white, you're going to have your problems. If you're born yellow, you're going to have your problems. It's all chance. Nothing you can do about it. That's the whole thought here. Therefore, the thing to do is to sort of juggle the thing together and let's divide it because we're not going to be here very much longer. May I say to you, what a viewpoint of life this is. And let's move on down. For man also knoweth not his time as the fishes that are taken in an evil net and as the birds that are caught in the snare. So are the sons of man snared in an evil time when it falleth suddenly upon them. And this comes right back to that materialistic philosophy. And that is the thing we mentioned the other day, that when you get on a plane on Friday afternoon, as I've done now many times, fill with men, men with briefcases, going home. They're coming here to Southern California. Some have been in Dallas, some in Kansas City, some in Chicago, some in Seattle. Now they're coming home. And they sit there. They're not afraid. Why? Because they have a fatalistic viewpoint of life. Well, one of these men said to me one day, we went through some turbulence. And he says, well, you know, if it's going down, it'll go down. If your number comes up, there's nothing you can do about it. So he just sat back, gritted his teeth, and that's the way he faced life. Man, just like a fish caught in a net. Oh, what an awful viewpoint. That is the worst kind of fatalism, and that is a philosophy we've considered. But the do-gooder has to come to that, you see. There's no other explanation for him. And therefore, this wisdom have I seen also under the sun, and it seemed right unto me. Now, will you notice, verse 14, There was a little city, and few men within it. There came a great king against it, besieged it, 
and built great bulwarks against it. Now, come a little closer, Mr. Marxist, and listen. You communists, listen to this. Hear a parable. You want to lift up the burden, the banner of the downtrodden? You want to defend a minority group, the cause of the underdog? Is that the thing that you're interested in? Well, may I say to you, there will arise a dictator. A great king will come against a people that let down their defenses and spend all their time with social problems which unsaved men cannot solve. And they've had now 5,000 years minimum, probably 6,000 years, and it could be much longer than that. And they have not solved the problems of life. How much longer do you think God ought to give man to work these out? Until next time, may God richly bless you, my beloved. If you're looking to receive and share encouragement from God's Word, you can follow us on Facebook, X, and Instagram. The Bible Bus stops here again next time. We hope that you hop aboard. And until then, if you need to reach us, call 1-800-65-BIBLE or visit ttb.org. God bless you today as you walk with Him in His Word. grateful for the faithful and generous support of Through the Bible's partners, whom God uses to take the whole word to the whole world.